Welcome to the Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast. This is episode eight, uh, and today we're going to talk about the 2020 Arkansas High Country Race, and we're joined by Ashley Carlock and Seth Wood. Uh, both that's, of that's Doctor Doctor Seth Wood. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> we don't have to insist on that at all, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds cool. <laughs> well, no, uh, yeah, welcome to the both of you and obviously we uh we have steven here uh who's going to be my my co-host today so thanks for joining the podcast yes thank well, you all for the invitation yeah appreciate our, it our first long distance so thank you where where are you coming from where where is everyone physically right now i'm in um a, a little town called hesperus colorado at a friend's house but i actually live in another town called areola which is about 45 minutes west we just don't have good internet <laughs> I live go. in Colorado, and I don't know either of those places. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> Seth Wood is uh, hailing from Stillwater, Oklahoma. Um, I'm in my personal home after a uh, day of teaching school. Um, but that's where, that's where I'm coming from. Cool. Um, we are, we are here to talk about your recent, uh, adventures. Um, so interesting that you guys went opposite directions, um, at the, at the high country race. Uh, give us a breakdown. What did you, what did y'all do? Okay. Uh, what did I do? Um, basically the goal was just to ride a thousand miles. I think I had internalized it in my head as a thousand thirty miles. Like it was what a thousand seventeen exactly or something like that. Um, and the end result. And that ultimately for me was the goal was to uh, finish. Like usually whenever I do an event of kind of any kind, uh, number one priority is just to finish the route, like finish the course, you know? And so I'd say primarily that's what I did was just finish. With style. Yeah. <laughs> Great fashion. Yeah. <laughs> I would say um, for me, this would be my third ultra race. And I know that, it's kind of what I'm supposed to be doing and what I'm supposed to be focusing on. And so my goal was, it, it was the longest one I have done, but was just to keep a steady pace and to crush it and to finish in the top. That's what I wanted. I went for it. Those are some big goals in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley, did you have a goal about where, like, because I, I was confused about the size of the field. I thought it was an interesting size field. Did you have like a top five, top three? I needed to be in the top five. Top five. That's how you we were thinking about it as a five. Yeah. That's, that's how we were thinking about it too here. Like as we were talking about it in the shop at district before the event. Yeah. So we all were talking about top five. I was just curious if you scaled it the same way in your head. Yeah. You I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the one thing that really kind of, and I even did a video on this, one of my videos, um, it really kind of wigged me out that there was you going in the opposite direction. And it was a bit like to focus on somebody else who's going a really kind of a different route, let's be honest. Yeah. It's 
were competing against me, I had to just tune that out. I had to tune it out. If not, I kept getting too like focused in on that instead of what I needed to be doing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious about that. You know, I haven't heard of many races that have a, a format where the racers get to choose what direction you go. Uh, how big of a deal was that? You know, like, was there a strategy behind the direction that you picked or you just kind of went? I think I, so I, <laughs> after I started it and I noticed that all the Arkansas natives were going counterclockwise, <laughs> I was like, maybe I should have done that. But I honestly didn't know, you know, and like the Colorado trail race, which I was my first ultra, was a good example of they flip flop it each year because it's a different race. Yeah. And so this was, it's a cool idea though, when you think about it, because there is strategy that goes into, do you want like for what? Ted and I did, for example, we had all the big climbs at the end, but I think the way that the clockwise people did some of that course at the end was really gnarly. So yeah. it was super take, you know, it was just, what do you think you could do? What's best for your body? I don't know. I, I agree that it was like a new format to be concerned about people who were yeah. kind of for a while getting farther away from you, the further they rode and then getting closer to you again and try to visualize them going through what you passed through backwards was kind of impossible. So totally, totally properly thinking about it while you were out there was kind of impossible, but you could also not avoid doing it. You know what I mean? There was this awareness that you were converging, especially because we were all so close, you know what I mean? And it was like, no matter what happened, we were all, it was like gravity or something. It was like, we were all re-entering like little asteroids, you know what I mean? And it was just kind of like waiting for some disaster to happen or something like that. But it was exciting. It was cool. It was novel. Like I've never, I've done several um, bikepacking events now. You know, I've done the Tour Divide twice and I've never wow. had that feeling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was like, it was novel. It's cool to have that sense of novelty when you're racing. You know? um, wow. How did you choose which way you wanted to go? I, I chose because um, mainly because of um, the single speed. I was really worried about gearing choice before the event. I kind of knew that there was going to be no perfect gear, you know, and I knew that whatever way I began um, was going to be really challenging. And I decided to do the counterclockwise direction because there were longer stretches between services. And I knew that I could pack for those stretches from home. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh gosh! So instead of relying on gas stations on the way to carry the longest stretches and those services, I was like, I can bring the stuff from home that will see me through those early stretches. And then on the back end, there's more towns where I'll just survive on whatever. Because I, I was also bringing a stove, so I had a I had a stove, I had a coffee maker, and I was like, that stove. I, I thought it was going to run out. I was certain it was. I was going to run out of gas at some point. And I was like, I'd rather have it through those first sections. I felt like I was going to need to boil water or cook more in that south uh, western quadrant. So mm -hmm. that's, why, that's why I did that first. was just because I was like, I can come prepared for that and then just survive on the way back. But as it turns out, I kept fuel and had coffee all the way up to the end. So that was, that was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't know. I obviously didn't do my research. I just knew that Rebecca Rush had done it clockwise. And so did Jay. So I was just thinking that was the way we were supposed to Yeah, I didn't know about that. Yeah. I'll tell you that um, I had a, I had a trail, two trail ferries during that last section that saved me 
And it was that second to last day where I kind of wanted Jim to be ahead of me. Just don't let him dangle. Let him think he's got it. And I, <laughs> I'm going to go get him at, if I can. If God will, I'm going to go try to go get him at night and pass him and go. But I was running out of food and I had this UPS driver who found me on the side of the road digging in my bags like furiously just looking for any morsel. I just wanted a morsel. And he stopped and he says, can I help you, ma'am? And I said, oh, I'm fine. I'm just looking for some food. He goes, well, I got some peanut butter crackers. Well, I have celiac disease. So I unfortunately had to say no. Uh, Just like broke my heart. And and he told me there was a store off route about seven tenths of a mile. And so I I did the math. I'm like seven tenths of a mile. It's worth it for me to get enough food and energy so I can go through the night tonight. Mm. And and this is what's going to make the bigger race the race for me. And so I did it. I went and I got tons of food. These cheese puffs that were both pizza and spicy cheese puffs. It's like blew my world. It was great. <laughs> but that, I wish I would have known that on that. It was de- to- two different races, man, but yet the same. Yeah. Well, see, at that, that moment that you're being visited by that driver, because you're saying this was before your last push, right? That you got that. Uh, this was probably 820 or 30. Yeah. Okay, so at that same point, or near that same point on the other side of the course, my mind bag is ripping open on the descent out of Red Star on Highway 16. I'm going down that really gnarly stretch. Uh, my frame bag is busting open. I'm bonking. Um, my body temperature is dropping. And then I see these two headlamps walking down the route, and I end up meeting two people who gave me leftover camp food, um like just cold you know half watery camp food that i ended up drinking out of the bag and they were like well man you better get going and i was like all right um it's probably a good idea i need to get moving but my frame bag is like exploding i don't know what i'm gonna do about this and they're like well will this help and he pulls out a big spool of uh paracord orange paracord oh. like yes that's exactly what i need so we got visited by trail fairies, like kind of at so these cool. proximate. So cool. Part of the race before the finish. That's awesome. That's what makes these things special. Yeah. Those, little- Those two guys I met, they were actually graduates of the school where I teach college, Oklahoma State yeah. University. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as soon as they found out, moment. they were calling me a uh, sir, you know, which was really obnoxious on the side of the mountain. Oh man. Yeah. You guys must have stories. Uh, we were trying to figure out like how to, how to like coax them out of you. Clearly that's not, it's not that hard. difficult to do. <laughs> not a problem. No. I mean, it's so dramatic I mean, I'll just, too. I'll just shut up. Uh, I, okay. I have, I have different, different questions. Um, like Ashley, you had, a you had like a, some sort of nutrition problem at the point in the race, so I was kind of watching along and following your Instagram videos where you start feeling nauseous because you, in my opinion, were just charging uh, and it was just jaw dropping. And then I remember things slowed down and I was like, oh, it's just too good to be true. Like, what's going on? Uh, and like, what was happening there? So there were there were three different things that happened um, on that day that I slowed down. I had um, two, three different mechanicals. Um, my, one of the batteries for my ETAP on the, the shifters went out, which I didn't think about. That was my fault. And so I had to kind of figure that out. And I realized that I could use the battery from my power meter, which I mean, who wants to see your power when you're like 150 Watts lower than, you know, you could normal hold it. So, so I was like, good to see that. <laughs> and then, um, 
The second thing was I had some derailleur issues, so I had to stop and I had to figure that out. It was bent a little bit, but I also had a, um, the B limit was fine. I checked, I went through everything. It was, there was one of the tooths in the 48 on my back because I'm running a um, mullet build. Mm-hmm. So there was the 52, there's for the 48 had a little bit of a ding in one of them. And so I took my, one of my wolf tooth components kind of move or tools kind of moved that back. So that fixed that, but it took me a while to get that. The other thing was nutrition. And I, um, I didn't eat enough. I think a few out, like during all of that going on, I should have been just stuffing my face with food, stuff in my face with food. And I wasn't. And you know, I, this is the thing is, is, and this is what I've learned is the brain is the prima donna. And when it's not getting that glucose that it wants, it's going to start shutting down everything else. It's going to tell you to stop. It's mm-hmm. going to start getting in your stomach. And it did. And so I started, I battled waves of nausea that were just awful that third day. Awful. I also had a really bad night of sleep because, um, well, I don't know why. I think it's because I was nauseous. But yeah, you saw my pace just plummet on that day. And what I ended up doing is, finding more food. So just eating, 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 drinking these, ins- those insure drinks, yeah. which are really high calorie and really, really high sugar. Um, and then I slept six hours. Okay. So hopefully my pace after my pace after that got a little bit better, Yeah. but did. I paid, I learned, I learned so much from that. You got to eat, man. Yeah. I mean, thousands of calories. That's interesting that the mental challenge slowed down your eating, not necessarily the physical challenge of like the race. I think that's what I got so upset because I was doing so well and I was on the pace that I, in my mind, I thought I can hold this. I've got, I'm going to slow down a little bit, obviously, but like, I've got this, I can do this. And then when those mechanicals started happening one after the other, I just, it, it really was mentally challenged. Like it really bogged me down because I, I wanted to do well, you know, I wanted to, I wanted it to be a race that I just completely blew out of the water. And that was just, and some of it was my fault. Oh, and my front brake went out. Small detail. It's <laughs> <laughs> the sometimes break, you know, that was, so that, that was the mental was, um, yeah, it was tough to overcome, but I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing it. And I think I also, I did well about just kind of systematically going through the bike, what's going on. What can I fix? What do I have in my toolkit, both mentally and actual to use? And um, ended up doing okay. But that was that was why you saw that drop. Yeah, Seth, you were you were looking to interject there. Um, I was I was going to make a point about the nutrition. I think one of the things that makes this race unique is is the scarcity of like really high quality nutrition options on the course. Like even when you hit a town and you sit down for a meal, you're not actually getting like a lot of greens or high, even if there are vegetables, they're not really recognizable as like green vegetables. You know what I mean? So I think that I noticed that out there is that even when you stop somewhere, you did your best, but you could only do so much to replenish your stores. And I, I bonked once or twice because of that. Yeah. When you have celiac disease and you're a vegetarian, not for choice, but also because of an allergy, really sucks. (laughs) Out there, yeah. Yeah, Northwest Arkansas does not, like, at least, you know, until you get to Bentonville and Fayetteville area, doesn't have a lot of options. So, do both, what is, so, Ashley, you're a vegetarian and celiac. 
<laughs> Seth, you just like to eat leafy greens while bikepacking, or you have a specific? Well, I mean, I, my family actually practices vegetarianism, okay. largely because my 12-year-old son recently, who's like a, a wildlife lover and a very uh, ecologically minded young man, he he wanted to become a vegetarian, and we decided to do it as a family. Um, since it's like something that kind of came to us recently and like that, I didn't have a problem eating like beef jerky, um, on the, like, I just started grabbing beef jerkies at the gas station because I was like, I, I need the protein. You know what I mean? It, it was, I, you know, so I just kind of cheated, you know, um, just feel like that. Not- do you feel like your body hit any kind of hiccup there where it just went to like basically garbage calories? Um, could you feel your th- a difference or was it just like, no calories right now? will get me to the next moment, no matter what they are. Well, I mean, I, I needed calories, but like I'll say, like when I stopped in Eureka Springs, like I knew, like I took some time there because I was like, I'm going to completely replenish the bike. Um, I'm actually going to get something decent to eat because I knew I could get a decent meal there. Like I went and got a croissant with avocado and bacon and tomato and lettuce and mayonnaise. And well, I actually good. had like a real high, you know, I mean, it was a sandwich, but it was it was good and it was high quality. And I was like, and I'm going to fill up my bike with snacks and water. And I knew that I wasn't going to stop until I got to um, Fayetteville. Like, I wasn't going to stop at all. Like, if I could, I could avoid it. I was like, I'll stop and pee. And that's it. I, I, I threw away trash one time on that stretch. And I didn't even stop the bike. I just had it in my hand and ready and rode by. It spiked it in the garbage can and rode on. That was actually the last place I looked at Ashley and Jim's dots was in Eureka Springs. And I assessed where they were and where I was. And then I was like, I'm turning that shit off. And then I didn't look at it again at all. I just, I just went all out to, I just assumed that I was racing them the whole time. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's interesting to me uh, because you guys were clearly coming at this like sharks where you're looking at the map. Uh, and the only time I've done a bikepacking race, I never looked at the map because I don't think that mentally I could handle that pressure. I was just mm-hmm. in a situation of like, this is all I can do. And I'm just kind of hanging on. But you two were like, I mean, would you speed up if you if you felt like you needed to go faster or like looking at the map and the other racers? What did that do for you mentally? I definitely looked at the map constantly if I could. I wanted to know where they were. I wanted to look at their pace. Are they weakening? Are they bidding better? Like, what is their strategy? Where are they? What are they doing? And for for Jim was a great example. It was it was Jim and Bobby for a while. And, um, you know, I just, <laughs> I, I didn't focus as much on Seth. Like I said, I couldn't bring in that counterclockwise because they were going a different, in my mind, kind of a different course, but I could focus on Jim and I knew he, I, he was, he ran, God, he ran such a clean race. He was steady the whole time. Mm. You know, you saw him come from the back of the pack and he slowly ticked us off and he kept the same pace. It was really well done, like really well, really well, well, well road race. And he was one where I was, I was watching his dot constantly. The only time I stopped looking at his dot was that last day after I passed him. And I just, I kicked it into gear. That was the last time 20, I didn't even stop to pee. I didn't even stop. I just went, I was seeing cougars at the end. It was crazy, but I just wow. went. You went full track. That was super challenging watching those dots, but I like it. I liked that. It pushed me. Okay. So it's positive force. 
those things are in my life. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm picking up that vibe. Seth, did you, did you look the whole time? Did you give yourself some breaks? Uh, I mean, well, first of all, in that southwestern uh, quadrant, the cell phone signal was very intermittent. You know what I mean? Like early, so for my early stages of the race, there just wasn't the option of looking that often. And when I did check in, um, I, I didn't really pay much attention to it because Ted King was capital G gone. And I knew that. And I was like, that's over. Um, and I was curious about Andrew cause I really didn't know about him or who he was. And he was like blowing my mind and I, but he also seen little G gone. Um, and other than that, there weren't that many counterclockwise people. And I was ahead of most of, in fact, and I, I was only confused about Aaron cause he was the only, other single speeder, Aaron Arnzen, who started as a single speed. And I knew there was another single speeder out there. So kind of early on for me, and we were both going counterclockwise. So early on for me, I was like, that's the dude I'm racing. I was like, Aaron and I are racing. And that was for me, the race in the beginning. And I didn't worry about these two until after Little Rock, when I realized they were still within reach. Like when I got, but especially after Little Rock, that long sea of pavement, when I got through that, and I wasn't so slow that I was still in contention. That's when I started watching them and would pay attention to when they were waking up and going to bed and stuff like that. But like I said, once I hit Eureka Springs, especially because I was on the single speed and I knew I had a lot of pavement and a lot of gradual descents, and that's not where single speeds have the advantage is on pavement and on gradual descents. Um, I was like, I, I can't bother looking because if I fall behind, then I'm just going to get demoralized and then limp it in. And I was like, and I want to end like a, like a demon out of hell. Like I wanted to, I mean, I, I went, I rode as hard as I could from Eureka Springs to Fayetteville. And I stopped as little as I possibly could. Um, mm-hmm. That was, that was my game. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some questions. Nick Scott can tell. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I guess switching gears ever so slightly. Uh, oh man. Poor pun for, for Seth. Sorry. Sorry Seth. <laughs> Didn't mean to rub it in. Uh, we were going to ask how many bike swaps you did. Uh, how often did you switch to your geared bike? But we, we thought that would be a mean question. How many times did I switch to my geared bike? <laughs> no, we're just kidding. We're kidding. Because your face is so awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. But, you know, real question here. You know, it fascinates me that, you know, at least in my mind, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done a bike packing race. I've done some bike packing. My only experience so far was hearing Steven recount, um, the Atlas mountain race. And, and he said he didn't bring a stove and Seth, you actually just, you said you were like stopping and making coffee and like ha- maybe having a hot meal. Um, so I guess in my mind, I'm a little bit like, well, oh, mind blown. Like, is it all about speed? Like what kind of was the gear breakdown for you? Uh, for the both of you of like, you know, bringing a stove, what were other things that were kind of, you know, the highlights of gear that you might bring or how much was it like prioritizing speed? Like, you know, making a cup of coffee might not be technically the fastest thing, but maybe it's just really good mentally, like to have like those little like wins for yourself of like, I have a fresh hot meal right now. Um, I, I this is going to be kind of like a personal disclosure. I didn't really anticipate doing this, but like, um, about, uh, a month or two, two months before this race, I was diagnosed with epilepsy because I had a massive seizure on the top of a mountain in Colorado while on vacation with my family, specifically after I did a massive bike ride. Uh, 
this epilepsy was a result of a spark issue on my brain because I was run over by a car seven years ago, um, oh, riding my bike to work actually at OSU. Um, this accident is kind of how I became introduced to the community of cyclists out of District Bicycles. That's how I met Woody Wintel. Um, we became friends, and he basically turned me into a gravel cyclist. I didn't know anything about this. I was just a commuter from Atlanta. You know, I had just moved here. Um, anyway, like, that that's kind of how I got into cycling was kind of because of this accident. But one of the repercussions that I've recently learned about seven years after the time of this accident is this scar tissue. And now I have, or I would have if I didn't take seizure medication, intermittent seizures, um, as a result of this interference in the electrical activity in my brain. This is the first time I've attempted a bike packing event um, since knowing about this. I kind of, after I got the diet, I realized that some of the experiences I was having on the Tour Divide in 2018 when I did it that year, uh, when I finished eight, um, I was like mildly hallucinating and I was having some events where I thought I was falling asleep on the bike. And now I kind of realized I was having minor seizure activity. You know what I mean? While I was like descending Dalton Pass, like Canada and America and things like that. So approaching the race this time around, I was really trying to prioritize my self-care. Like I had to bring my anti-seizure medication with me in a waterproof silicone bag, you know? Um, I was really worried about sleep deprivation. Like I knew that I wanted to push hard and ride hard, but didn't want to push myself to the point where I would have some kind of event and then have to pull off the course. I wanted to like care of myself the whole way. And I told myself early on, I was like, I'm going to bring a stove so that I feel at least that security of being able to like give myself, like I carried a package of ramen on the back of my bike the whole time. So if I needed to, I could stop, boil water and eat ramen. But I never used it. I actually had to throw away two packages because they got so crushed by all the <laughs> by all the rocky riding. But I was just trying to prioritize taking care of myself. I was actually really worried about doing the event. I didn't quite know how it would go, um, pushing myself to those types of physical limits um, since the epilepsy diagnosis. And I was just like, I want to have everything on hand to take care of myself. I mean, I had my damn dangle cut hanging from my seat bag the whole time, like clunking on the rails. You know what I mean? And, cool you know what i mean like it was kind of nice for me to sort of deconstruct that that distinction i think we always have in bikepacking between are you racing or are you riding you know what i mean and it's like why can't we do both like maybe riding the event you know what i mean and having the things you need will make you faster like you were saying you know what i mean the comfort and the mental stability that brings you know what i mean like it made me consistent i felt like i went i was really really consistent until my frame bag exploded and then i had a short day you know but until then i felt like my output was really measured you know what i mean and and i like coffee you know what i mean that's good <laughs> who doesn't wow i didn't realize how poignant of a question that was yeah. um thanks for sharing yeah so seth's superpower is coffee uh Ashley, was your superpower your Wonder Woman bracelet, uh, which I just thought was the coolest thing in the world? Like, where where was your secret source of energy? Because it's just amazing. It's just so spectacular when I just love it. You know, you were moving so fast and you were smiling and like it, there was a lot of positivity. And that stuff doesn't always translate through a tiny little phone screen, but it was there. So, like, where's that come from? Yeah. How'd you... How'd you sustain that if you weren't boiling coffee, which is the only scientific way to sustain it? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, 
I'm completely blown away by Youssef. I didn't know that story. And that's, um, that, that makes it even more spectacular to me. I mean, single speed is cool, but that, uh, anyway. Um, so the Wonder Woman watch <laughs> came from a good friend of mine, Brad Huff. He is a um, national crit champ, uh, you know, real strong cyclist, but also just this genuinely friendly guy. And when I was a little girl, I was um, a very, very tomboyish. I'm always in the dirt looking for bugs and stuff. And I really loved Wonder Woman and told everybody who asked, I mean, everybody that, that my name's not Ashley, it's Wonder Woman. That I just said, you have to call me Wonder Woman. And I wouldn't even answer to Ashley. So I was like, I don't know, 32. So he gave me this watch and I... I don't know. I, I, I ride it on, I use it on any of my long, my long races, 24 hours of a Pueblo. I had my Wonder Woman watch on and um, I'm thinking about going down to Chile again. I'm going to have my Wonder Woman watch on, you know, it's just a, it's just kind of, I look down on it and remind of, of just this little girl who had these really big aspirations. I think, honestly, that's the real truth and, and want to see that through. I think I've always known I wanted to do this kind of out of the box weird stuff. And as for the energy, I don't know. <laughs> Positivity, I don't know, just, just who I am. I think it's just, I think I'm just, I don't know. One I'm of the questions I was thinking about was uh, was just, do you think there's something about being female and as a woman, do you think you have a certain edge in certain ways over men, like how a, a man would look at an event like this versus how you did it? Like mentally, do you think, you know, like I'm just curious because I, I can't have that experience, but there there well, got to be some really unique qualities that that just you know work or click for you for sure i definitely think that men are stronger than me physically period end of report i hate to admit it hate it but it's true they got a little bit more of that testosterone running through veins that i'm not going to put in mine or else i'll lose my USAC license you know like but that is that is something that i always have in the back of my mind and with these longer events though in ultra endurance your strength your strength is going to get you somewhere but the real thing that you're going to be pulling on is your mental. It's your brain. And I think when it comes to mentally, I look at the men and I say, I know that you're physically stronger than me, but I'm just as strong mentally. And let's see how it works out. You know, let's see what happens. And I think for women everywhere, that's something that we can, we can really focus on. Like we got the mental just the same. Yeah, I, guess that's, I, I, don't know, I mean, question. that made you. Yeah, no, it did. Yeah, Seth. I think that's a really, first of all, I want to thank you guys for asking her that. I think that's a really awesome question to ask a woman. And I would say that more than like it being an equal mental game, you know, and that being like kind of levelized, like equalizing the playing field a little bit. Like, um, I would say that like you demonstrated like a superior mental than the other riders, you know what I mean? And like, it's, it wasn't just like you just had just as much mental game, but like more, you know? And I think that women, their position socially and culturally, and like politically in our country, you know what I mean? I, what, I mean? what I mean is I think sometimes men get lazy because of the privileges that they're given because of that biological or social or cultural strength. You know what I mean, I think there is a power in women that men don't have is what I mean mentally. Like, I do believe that, you know? And I saw you tapping into that Wonder Woman. You know what I mean? Like I like when I woke up. I woke up at three forty-seven in the morning for my last day of riding because I was like, I'm going to get up 
and I'm going to fix this damn bag and I'm going to ride into the sunrise and I'm going to ride as hard as, you know what I mean? That was my game plan. And when yeah. I got there, she was already awake and she was already moving. And it was <laughs> <good. God. laughs> I was I remember getting to know and stuffing my face with this huge bag of Fritos and some of that bean dip, you know what I'm talking about? And so good. <laughs> just like going for it and thinking, this is it, girl. You just gotta you gotta do this. Talk yourself up, you know, come on, just go through the night. <laughs> that's what I did. It's awesome. Like that that's what I mean though, is like that that ability to kind of recognize at that point like what's going to happen for the next 24 hours or more. You know what I mean? Like that, mm-hmm. that's superior mental game. You know what I mean? And the, meanwhile, the men are like, uh, I'm sleepy and I've done so good already. You know what I mean? Like the men are always kind of like, thinking about how proud of they are of what they've already done. You know what I mean? I would say I don't have superior mental game. I'm going to chalk it up to this. I, this is a very I just feel called to do these kind of things. This is a weird calling, right? I mean, th- here it is. This is it. This is it. I feel like this is one of my callings in life. We have many callings. This is one of them for me. And I think that when you're following through with what you feel like in deep down that you're supposed to be doing, that mental game will be better. That joy that you see on any of those posts or whatever is 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 real because Instead of trying to make myself some other cyclist that I wish I could be, Aaron Huck or Kate Courtney or whatever, I can't, I'm never going to be there. But I know what I love and I know what I'm supposed to do. And so I think that that's where, that's where you see that if it is a superior mental game, it's just doing what I was kind of supposed to be doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think, it, yeah. I love the idea that, that you were riding your ride. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. joy of being who you are can be a superpower. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, who you are. I think that helps me understand it. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm happy to see all like those, dude, the bugs there. Like, <laughs> that kept me going. The walking sticks. Did you see how many walking sticks there were? Oh, man. I was on, I just was like in heaven. <laughs> I don't know. You were speaking to the ants. Uh, <gasps> totally was. <laughs> I think that's a, that the thing that I get most excited about with off-road racing, gravel, and now bikepacking, which I'm I'm just new at within the last year, is that uh, they aren't just wattage competitions. Uh, it, it it it's there's so many layers where things can go right and wrong, um, right. and it has just more potential for upset and unconventional. And it, there's just layers to the equation. And I mean, you proved that with uh, with your ride and. Uh, Seth, you did as well, actually. I mean, just just the idea of coming at it from a single speed. And you're in the same event, and you're doing it in opposite directions. And it's off-road and nutrition. Like, there's so many layers to success. And it's just so much deeper than other cycling disciplines, which I, I love as well. But I just don't think they're as great. Um, because, because these ones can, you know, like... Ashley, you said, you know, this, you're, you're discovering that ultra endurance and bikepacking might be your thing where you may not have found that in a one hour race, you're finding mm-hmm. it in a thousand mile race. You're finding that that's the right combination where, where your skills build to something that excels. Yeah. I just think the sport has so much potential for growth in it and getting richer, uh, because mm-hmm. it invites people from across the spectrum to come and, and then you, it's really fascinating and enjoyable to watch different people succeed. 
one of the things that happens over those these longer distances, I think, is like a weird version of like the butterfly effect. Small decisions you make in the moment, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. These kind of like exponential consequences, you know, that, that turn into hours and days worth of time. And I think that kind of the mental preparation for a bikepacking event and the physical endurance that it requires kind of like an infinite product. Like you feel like you're kind of like tapping into the infinite, you know what I mean? You're pondering something that's kind of like structured and very definite, but it's also endless. It's like chess, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's got, it's, there's, there's a beginning and an end, you know, there's a certain number of miles, but there's a way in which you can't wrap your mind around it the whole time you're doing it. And when it's over, you can't ever finish processing it you know and it's there's professor yeah and i think that's what makes everybody like there's there's room for so many different experiences within that you know what i mean like that everybody can have a powerful experience like involving themselves yeah yeah i I agree it's like you you don't have to be one of the top racers at the front going for the you know fastest you can be back there for your own thing, your experience. And, and also, and the other thing that, you know, I haven't mentioned much, but on these, on these events, in these events, you come across people, you know, that every, it, you just see the beauty of people. I'm just yeah. going to leave that out there. And it's, it's so cool how each day is going to bring you somebody new and it could be your fellow racer or it could be a, a complete stranger and that's the, that's another cool thing about these events is just that they're so multifactorial and the butterfly effect, like you said, you know, why did I have a bad day? Cause I made the micro decision to not eat enough a couple of times, right. which just blew up on me, you know, and that you see, you feel, you, you said that so perfectly. Huh? Yeah. So question, S- Seth, uh, is the decision to go single speed some sort of like anti butterfly effect prevention pill? Like, <laughs> were you just getting out ahead of that? Like, because I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, when Ashley was uh, detailing her mechanicals. I almost said, "Does anybody want to talk to the single speeder?" Yeah, uh, yeah, you know? yeah. No, it's the <laughs> elephant in the room. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I actually just kind of really like single speeding. Like I said, I only started riding bikes seriously like seven years ago, like after this accident, I kind of used cycling as a way to kind of rehabilitate myself physically. Cause I was like, wow. I mean, I was kind of annihilated physically. I had to wear an eye patch for a year and a half. In fact, the first ever land run 100 now known as the mid South that I finished, I was wearing an eye patch cause my eyes hadn't been surgically reassigned to point wow. forward again. I had permanent double vision. I was like, very seriously, very gravely injured. And I got into cycling as a way of kind of rehabilitating myself, which is just to say, like, when I started riding bikes, I wasn't that, I mean, I had a bike in high school, but I wasn't that good at riding bikes. And I actually really suck at shifting. You know what I mean? Like it just, I just never felt good at it. At one time I built a single speed bike um, and started riding it. And, you know, I just really liked that style of riding. I just, I did it. I enjoyed it. And even, I mean, I wrote, I like, I got a, when I did the Tour Divide in 2016 and 2018, I rode a salsa cutthroat. So I rode geared on the divide both times I went. So I've done geared riding since building a single speed, but especially the second time that I was out on the divide, I, I didn't want to have gears. Like I used them and I rode that bike the way it was made, but 
I wanted to be on my single speed. And ever since then, I was like, I'm going to start trying to figure out. Because I was, in fact, I was just frankly intimidated to bike pack single speed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like riding, riding a loaded bike over mountains, you know, on one gear. No. But honestly, the year that I did the Tour Divide last in 2018, watching Bailey Newbury chase down Louis Sador on his single speed, like, fully, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like Bailey Newbury kind of changed the game. What was, what was your gear? Oh, I had a two by two by uh, eleven. Oh, oh, you mean what was my ratio for the event? So, yeah, forty two twenty. Forty two twenty. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. And I, and I rode that because that's the gear I had been riding single speed, kind of committed to trying to doing more of that. Like I rode the Alexander three eighty single speed, you know, when I went to Almanzo. Um, and I had started to try to do some bigger events on single speeds to try to kind of like build up to like doing like a run on the divide single speed or something like that. Um, and I had, um, one of the events that I did was the Epic in Missouri is 150 mile bike race through the Ozarks in Missouri. And wow. so that, that was just the closest I had been to the terrain on the course. I was like, I've run that gearing on that course. I, I didn't, I didn't clear everything on the course. I mean, I walked several hills, but. And I knew that this would be worse and I'd be doing a lot more walking. I ended up doing a lot more walking than I even thought I'd be doing. Um, but um, but that's why I chose that gearing was because that's what I wrote at the Epic. And I was like, eh, it's close, you know, like Southern Missouri, Northwest Arkansas. But um, Yeah, there's definitely something just beauty and simplicity of like one gear. You just kind of find that, that momentum. Um, I mean, it, it could also, I mean, I don't know how much do you think it also was a pacing strategy? Like you can't go out too hard. You can't mm-hmm. like just blow up. Cause that's the gear you have, you know, like again, to yeah. that butterfly effect, you know, like just keeping it simple. Well, that's definitely how you strategize about it. And one of the things I started doing, frankly, was instead like, like, like on a shorter event when you're single speeding, typically you grind into the hill as far as you can, and then you barely get off without falling off your bike and run up the rest of the hill, you know? <laughs> then I really, like, if I the head and I was like, nah, there ain't no fucking way, I would just get off, you know what I mean, and start walking, you know what I mean? And if the walking got too easy, I'd hop on and pedal for a while, but I really kind of, I was very conservative with where I started walking. I would start walking kind of before I had to, you know what I mean, so that... I wasn't straining myself and frankly straining my chain. I was worried about breaking a chain out there. You know what I mean? If I was grinding into the climbs too much. So I started walking pretty early, early on, you know what I mean? And that resulted in me doing a lot of walking, especially through those first several big climbs. You know what I mean? And frankly, I was worried after I got through that first section, I was like, you picked the wrong gear, my friend, because you are walking way too much. You're going to be out here forever. But, but then after little rock, you hit, hundreds of miles of pavement, you know what I mean? And if I had been lower gear then, I would have been just cooking in the, on that hot day and all that pavement. I would have, you know, I would have lost it. So I don't know. It, it all kind of, it all worked out. The, the gearing worked out. Wow. Yeah, that is, yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it is interesting that when you just decide that you're going to do it, then it, then it's somehow it's possible. I mean, I, I yeah. wouldn't have considered that possible, but you no. just decided you were going to do it and you made it and you did it. So now you're the, you're the only person to have completed it single speed. Am I right? So you have, I think that's as, far as, as far as we know, I think that's, that's the case. Yeah. yeah. So it's wow. the, the fastest only known time. Like, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a cool thing. Just, uh, yeah. Have to your name. 
Um, and it's just instant respect and you as well, Ashley, instant respect like that. So tell me, uh, I'm, I was curious about your final push, um, because you did it like with, with very little sleep. Um, and you know, it, once you were sort of in second there in those final couple hundred miles, whatever that was, I, I can't remember mileage. I just remember the shape of the map. Uh, and I thought, Oh man, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here. Maybe third. Um, and then like, but you, you, you got back into second and you just like, you put the hammer down. How were you able to do that? How are you able to find that so late in the race? Um, I had been saving matches. How do you I save just, a match when you're, <laughs> I know, right? You're not sleeping and I'm not eating. And like, where, where do you put those? <laughs> maybe I told myself that's what I was doing. So every day, every day I would, when I would quit for the day, I, I would burn almost all of them and just have enough to be like, okay, I'm, I want to get back on the bike tomorrow. I want to get back on the bike tomorrow. And, you know, even if it was just a three hour sleep session or a four hour sleep session, I had that one six hour, which I needed. Um, and I, I wanted my name next to Ted Demigod King. <laughs> That's what I wanted. I knew, I knew I couldn't get it from Andrew when he got it or when he was going, I knew I was going to be down there, but then once the other two top guys, you know, were out of the running, I, I thought I can do this. So on that last day, um, that last night I had about four hours of sleep and I got up that morning and I knew it was going to be a push. And I had in my mind, and now maybe I did, maybe I didn't, I don't know. But in my mind, I kept saying, okay, it's time to pull out those matches or whatever gas is in the tank of those little crevices that you've been holding on to. I actually, God, okay. So I have this thing where in my mind, I call it, it's time to push my boost button, which my boost button is basically to empty the tank. Like I push my boost button and I burn all the matches and I empty the tank completely and I tap into whatever pro fitness that my coach has been training me for. Mm. And on that last day I did. And once I passed Jim at mile 100 and I think I had like 127 miles left and I passed him up on this mountain pass and I saw him and I was like, just coast by. Like and I got these Onyx hubs. They're super quiet. I'm like, just coast. <laughs> well, I guess he heard me. He told me, he's like, I heard you and I couldn't believe that was you. I thought I had him. And after that, I just, I, I told myself it's now is the time to hit the boost button that you've been thinking of this whole time hit the boost button and you need to kill it. And I actually, um, my, my um, spot tracker was all over the map. And I think it's because I had it in the wrong place, but uh, learning experience again. And I, my speed went up a ton for those first, that last about hundred miles and it's, until I got to about 27 miles left and I bonked big time. Oh man. But, um, that's how I, that's how I did it. That's how I got him. And I just kept going. I pushed it and um, I felt great. I had been, I remember just being like, okay, you're almost there. Put another sticker, sticker bars in your mouth. And it was the other, the other thing is um, I had done the Cedar city Belgian waffle ride a couple of weeks before yeah. and I didn't eat enough. And so I knew, I knew what that felt like. I knew where it was when I was going to at that faster pace. And if I started to have a certain feeling, that means I've gone too far. It means I'm already bonking. There's no food that's going to get me out of it. I'm going to start bonking. So I need to know what it feels like to get ahead of that. And I used that on that last day. I used that race. It came in handy. So I think it's good to do short ones too. So, so question. Short, 125 is short, but you know. 
<laughs> Question in a similar vein um, for the both of you is, you know, when you're digging that deep or even just generally throughout the race, how much was like, you know, at the, at the beginning of the podcast, you were talking about the both of you just like, where do I want to finish? Top five. Okay. Where did it click in the race that if, if it did click that I'm going for an FKT, um, you know, just like, and, and like, are you monitoring that during the race? Was it like just a bonus when you like finish and someone's like, Hey, you got the FKT like, or like, did that kind of factor into like how hard the both of you were pushing in the race? Like here I could kind of set something out there. I don't know. Cause I mean, I've never done a bikepacking race, so I, I don't know like what it's like to monitor like your time and do the math. Like, am I going for the FKT? Right. I'm, I'm going to answer first because I'm the least interesting answer. Like all I had to do was finish and I had an FKT <laughs> and I knew that when I knew that Aaron was like out, you know what I mean? So at a certain point in the race, I'm saying I knew Aaron wasn't racing anymore. You know, he had pulled out and then I just knew if I finished, then I would have a fastest stone time because I was on a, on a single speed. The reason I was gunning it is because I was trying to beat them. You know what I mean? I didn't give a care that I was on. Like I really like, I like racing people on gears on single speeds, you know what I mean? And so that I was racing them, you know, like after that. Um, but I was also, you know, um, but early on in the race, it was kind of interesting to have Aaron there because, I mean, he's done the course. I mean, he finished 90% of it last year, you know what I mean? He, he was experienced. He knew the whole route, you know what I mean? And his bike was very different looking than mine. He had a flat bar, he had a lower gearing, wider tires, and I was looking at him like, maybe I don't know what the hell I'm doing, you know what I mean? Like I was... Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I was kind of thinking about the FKT in relation to him and his pacing early on, but once he was out, then I knew as long as I finished, I had it, you know what I mean? That I would have a fastest known time if I finished. So, yeah, that wasn't a very, I don't know why I didn't have to deliberate about it that much. I was just like, just finish and you have it. I guess the, the advantages of technology and being able to check the, the spot tracker of your fellow racers you know, just like knowing, well, oh, okay. The spot like, for Aaron, frankly, did not help because this never fucking worked. You know, <laughs> so Aaron was never on the map. Just clarify. Yeah, he was like a ghost. I chased him for two days thinking he was in front of me. And then finally, I found, I saw on Instagram that he was behind me. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, okay, I can relax now. But no, there was like two days where I was chasing him thinking he was ahead of me when he was behind me. You know? Those two days probably helped you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, worked out. I, I mean, I don't want it now. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, so. butterfly effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, my answer to that question, Nick, I went into it wanting to be. I wanted to beat Rebecca's time. I wanted to kind of prove to myself those feelings that I had that this was kind of where I need to be in in my career as a cyclist. I wanted to prove that to myself and to my friends and family and my sponsors, and represent them the best I could. And so I went in going out, I, I went out hot in the very beginning. I was in the first, you know, and I, I was, I'm going to be honest. I was just kind of dicking with some of those guys. I wanted to see who was going to keep that pace with me. And like out of the <laughs> competitive much. Yes. Very competitive. <laughs> and, um, you know, of course I knew Ted was, um, he ended up taking off at the gravel and then I dropped him too. And it was like out of the group that we were with, I think the only two of us were the ones that finished. And I knew in the very beginning what I wanted. And so I was just determined to make everything. Things can happen, you know, but I was just determined to make it happen. It's what I wanted. 
Well, that's the question. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, high sixty, high sixty percent. Attrition, attrition rate. Um, so I, I didn't go and look at other races to see where that factors, but that seems a, like a pretty massive coal uh, of, yeah. of the field. So uh, you've both done Tour Divide, right? No, well, I've no, never done. T- you did Colorado. Which what was the other one? Colorado Trail Race? No, I've done the, the Colorado Trail Race was my first race. Okay, yeah. And then I did one in Chile across the Andes to raise money for something, Little Bellas, and had a great time. It was great. I got fourth overall. It's real good. Awesome. So, like, how how does this rate to those other experiences? Like, what's what's unique about this race? This was easier than across the Andes, um, I which was surprising because it's the Andes, right? You know, you, the, <laughs> pretty pretty big mountains. Um, there was no relief on these hills, and I think that's why it was easier or harder. Um, I would say the, both the length and then once again, well, three things, the length, the no relief after the hills, there was just no break. You'd get down to a bottom one and then you'd have another big spike of a hill. So you just couldn't recover. Um, the Colorado trail at least has some downtime where you can go, you know, you can, I mean, you're on a mountain bike, but, um, and then the other thing that made it a little bit more like the Colorado trail was the distance between food you know, resupply. I found myself filtering water probably 60 to 70% of the time. I didn't have to filter once in across Andes. There was there, I could always find food. Um, You know, obviously in the Colorado trail, I was filtering and I ran out of food between Buena Vista and Silverton and heard voices. And well, that's another podcast, but yeah, like just, but this was more similar to something like the Colorado trail, which is amazing because you think mountain biking, you know, you're like 90%, but this was hard. This was one of the hardest I've ever done. I don't know how you feel, Seth, but. No, I mean, I, and I think that one of the features that you highlighted is like the scarcity of resources. You know what I mean? Like on the tour divide, like not consistently throughout the course, but most of the time when you come out of the wilderness, there, there's like substantial infrastructure. There's restaurant options. You know what I mean? That you can binge eat. You can have a milkshake. You know what I mean? I had a hard time getting the damn milkshake. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like it was, you know, it was, um, yeah. there was gas stations, you know, and gas station food. And there was some diners that I ate at because they were the only option, like at the time that I was there and regretted my meal decisions later. You know what I mean? Like some of the food was not stellar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I do think that's one of the challenges and the distances between resupply. In fact, I remember, I mean, you sort of complimented my intel of the course. I mean, I just kind of like roughly looked at it and said, oh, that big, that southwestern stretch, stretch looks really desolate. That looks like big gap between the services. But frankly, I felt like it was hard on the northern loop. I mean, I felt like I was still packing my bike for 100-mile stretches, you know what I mean, on average. You know yeah. what I mean? Like some days it was better and I would come across something, but you don't always want to stop, you know what I mean? Like it's Right. Especially if it's just like another CD gas station, it's like there's nothing right. in there that I need. You know what I mean? Like I'm just going to – I've got plenty of candy and, you know, beef jerky. But, yeah, I agree that that's one of the really hard features compared yeah. to something like the divide. I mean you come out of a wilderness under the divide and you're in a kind of moderately subsized town or even a city. You know what I mean? Or you're on the edge of Yellowstone or something. You know what I mean? But yeah. You're just kind of until you, unless you're in the Bentonville, Fayetteville area, and either that's the end and you're not stopping in, or it's mm-hmm. the beginning, you have everything you need. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you are nowhere. You know what I mean? Like there's there's just not a lot. 
out there. You know what I mean? The other, the other interesting thing was, even though some of the distances between resupply would be, you know, maybe only 60, 50 miles, but it would be a hard, a hard 50 or 60 miles. Oh, so yeah. more time than you thought to get to oh, that yeah. station. And you're, I'm scarfing food thinking I'm almost there. And I look down and I've still got way more to go. And there's, and it's like those big gravelly, nasty gravel, you know, just, I'm glad I had the fatter tires. Especially on the single speed, there were some stretches that I vastly underestimated, you know what I mean? Especially on the northern loop, I was really counting on the northern loop being easier, like everybody was saying it was. And after I got through the pavement, which did go faster, I realized that these were really peaky mountains that were really gnarly and a lot of times wet. The northern loop was really wet with like a stream runoff and stuff like that, muddy and sloppy and... Um, I remember getting to one gas station and I hadn't even looked at my mileage or anything. I was just kind of looking at the purple line and I redid my whole bike and I was getting ready to go. And I was like, okay, now it's time to look at how far you went and like how far you've ridden today. And it was like mid afternoon. You know what I mean? Like I kind of felt like I was preparing for the evening mentally and physically. And I looked down and I had gone 34 miles and I was just kind of like, what you know what I mean? It was like that was like half of what I felt like I had done. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I had given seventy miles worth of effort and gotten thirty-five miles, and it was just like, and you know, and it just and that was happening frequently. That that experience of kind of feeling like things were taking a lot longer than I felt like they should, or I, you know, it was it was hard. You know, wow. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, you, you look at these and you're like, I wonder if I could do that. Um, I, it just makes me admire you two more hearing the story, but it doesn't make me think that I could do it. Like the endless peaky hills. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> I think I like more, more downtime at camp, having a book and putting lights in my tent. And I don't know, the racing aspect seems. We got We got to get Nick back. And he used to race bikes, but. We got to get him out of retirement somehow. So maybe we could do this again and you could talk about how easy it was and we could trick Nick. So. You're not cool. selling it, guys. But. No, that's cool. That's, that's a picture. I mean, yeah, that explains, I guess, why so many people had trouble. It was interesting to see people who were doing really well just all of a sudden have these sort of massive, you know, come aparts uh, where the, the body just kind of said, you know what? I don't really care how much you trained. I'm done. Um, so that was, that was interesting to watch and pretty sobering too. And then, you know, seeing that picture of Ted, um, that Laura posted yesterday and he's just laying on the floor with his head in traction, uh, and he looks emaciated. Um, and, and I just think, wow, what does that take out of your body? Um, you know, what are the you know, effects of that? So I, you two look great though. <laughs> I mean, you're able to hold your head up, which is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. We You know, no big deal, you know, just like two or three days, you know, no big deal. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I guess before we wrap up, maybe where, what's next, what, you know, clearly the both of you have the bug for the races. Um, where, where can we find you next? What's on the horizon? You just make you hungry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about doing, I'm not sure yet, but I might do Jay Peterberry's fat pursuit. Cause I would really love to do the Iditarod one year. 
you guys need to make a fat bike, Rodeo Labs. Oh, yeah, boy. I'm like, we can't, <laughs> we don't even want to take over the bike industry, first of all. But the idea that you're just going to like make a bike I for every segment. So much. Um, <laughs> it's, every, it's my everything bike. Yeah, no, then, no and don't race your, don't race your donkey at Fat Pursuit. Yeah, like, I love, love, love that bike. Uh, well, if we had had time, we could have told the interesting story about how you got that thing because that was not, um, there were no extra flanimals, but you know, Bobby just appeared out of nowhere and we, we just through chance happened to have one. And then yeah. the next thing I know it's on the starting line and I'm Sheldon says, do you see there's a flanimal on the starting line? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So that just, yeah, that gets us excited. I mean, I, in the beginning of rodeo, I think we, you know, we were tiny and we're still tiny, but we were tinier and we just did everything ourselves. All the adventures were our, our adventures. Uh, and that was fun, but it's way more fun when the adventures just uh, take on a life of their own and they're people you, you haven't even met. You don't even know, have your bike. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, you see that doing things and that, that, that uh, a lot of my job is email right now, just, you know, talking to people, talking to customers, planning next year. So when I'm sitting at my desk and then I get to hit my phone and be like, well, there are two people out there right now on our bikes and they are <laughs> giving them a story and taking them fun places. And like, it just makes my day because it, yeah, if I just had a desk job right now, it'd make me super sad, but I have this job of making these machines that other people are enjoying. So it, well, it's one of the highlights can- of the year for sure. I'm just, thinking about take, taking the donkey down to Chile again. Okay. I think it would be good. <laughs> That's that, awesome. would be that same, that up and over the Andes or? Yeah, so it's called Across the Andes. It's actually going to be in a southern, the jungle person this time. Um, and yeah, the donkey. I think we should go. Wow. See what I, I, think I can make it happen. I'm, I'm working on it. Cool. Let me know how we can help. Um, yeah. yeah. The bigger the adventure, the more excited we get for sure. So. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, Seth, are you just going to single speed into infinity or will you ever go back to gears? That sounds amazing. Um, I'd love to be able to um, do that. Um, But yeah, I've done the Tour Divide twice. Like I said, last time when I did it geared, it kind of plagued me the whole time that I wasn't trying it single speed. And so I do think that that's probably in my future at some point. I don't know how soon that will be. I also really, really, really want to do the Silk Road mountain bike race. You know what I mean? Um, that is something that I've like eyed for a long time. But I'd really like to do something um, in another country. I've only ever done bikepacking racing in America. And I really, really would like to broaden my horizons and do something um, international. Uh, but it's going to be really hard to get me off that flammable anytime soon. I've already got it in for service so I can go out on a bike ride. And one of the mechanics at district was like should you even be riding right now and then each other he's like you know your body and i'm like i know my body yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> you can't you can't you can't you can't cage you in so that's right cool well uh yeah i think i think this is a good spot um i love it yeah it's gonna be some thank you guys yeah thanks for yeah, thanks for taking the time i mean the bikes and the good times and all the support along the way too like i don't I don't know. Um, this is obviously maybe a little different than Ashley, but I'm not used to getting attention from any kind of brand that I'm riding while I'm riding it. So having your recognition and kind of like acknowledging me as I was riding was really encouraging, you know, and I know it's a self-supported ride, but like, you know, that gave some wind to my sails, you know, so thank you for that. Like, yeah. you guys were part of it, you know. 
Yeah, we <laughs> we were with you. Uh, we were excited. You can't hide that. That stuff just exactly. yeah, it bubbles because it's genuine. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, uh, if if uh, if things line up, uh, maybe I'll see you two in uh, the uh, mid south. I don't know. I I entered the lottery, but it would be fun to put some. Uh, I, I haven't met you both in person yet, but uh, it'd be cool to say hi and long distance high five or whatever we're allowed to do at that point. So uh, yeah, maybe I can maybe I can go randomizer a kit. Yeah. Say that again. Maybe I can go give the randomizer a kid. <laughs> yeah, I guess that I, was me. Asking I know what we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and say hi to Bobby and tell him thank you for me for somehow making all of this happen. I'm still not exactly sure. Like that was just a funny sequence of events. So uh, he he deserves big thanks for putting you on that bike. However that happened, uh, and uh, giving it a good home. So thank you, Bobby. All right, Ashley and Seth. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And Nick, thanks again. Uh, I think this Good is the sign. Good to you again. Yep. Bye. I hope we get to ride together soon. Yeah, let's do. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Rodeo Labs podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience.